great desperation. Whoa! You guys are amazing. You know, everybody stand up. I always love praying. Everybody stand up. I always love praying before bringing the word. I just want to say that it is such a great honor, and I mean this from all my, with all my heart, to stand on this platform and to minister along. Well, of course, you know, Lisa and I and our family attend this church, so we are so honored to be here with our pastors, Pastor Brady and Pastor Pam. But just to stand here with David and Renata, with Dan and Amy, with Brendan and Octavia, with, you know, I mean, I could go on and on, I, with, with, with just everybody, John and Paige Egan, and uh, it's just amazing what God is doing here in this meeting, and I am forever grateful for Desperation, because Desperation Conference has touched my children so deeply. I look at my oldest son, 12 years ago today, he was in a Desperation Conference, and God impacted his life in such a profound way, and now today he is the COO of Messenger International, and so, you know, I... I am so grateful for this conference. You are in a great place here tonight. You know what the Lord spoke to me while we were worshiping? He said, I've gathered together leaders. And I kept looking for the word future leaders. And he said, no, I've gathered together leaders. You see, you have to understand a leader is an influencer. And you can wait until you're 30 years old and be an influencer or you can be an influencer right now. And you know what he told me? He said to me while we were worshiping, he said, some of them don't even know they're leaders yet, but they are. You still with me? How many of you, how many of you are going to walk in that calling? Let me see your hands. How many of you are going to walk in that calling? Amen. God has called you to this place. You know, some of you are out there, you're going, this Colorado man is cold. You're sitting there trying to sleep at night. Some of you are out there in tents, right? And you're going, it's cold here. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter because it's hot in here. And lives are being changed, forever changed in this place. And so I just believe this is just another step in the process. You know, I, I wasn't here this morning to hear my gorgeous, beautiful, amazing wife. But, you know, I was preparing. I'm getting ready to fly to uh, New Zealand and do a national leadership conference down there. And I had to get a message ready for one of the sessions I'm doing down there. And so I heard it was amazing. I love her. She is my wife. I told her a few months ago, I said, baby, if you were single, I'd be so on your trail. As a matter of fact, let me show you a picture of my family. I think she probably already did that, but I just have to show you again. And I, you know, I have desperation to be thankful because I have got the most amazing daughter-in-law. Now she is not my daughter-in-law. She is my daughter. Okay. But anyway, I wouldn't have got her had it not been for desperation because a girl like that would never have married my son before that desperation encounter 12 years ago. So you know what? I'm grateful. Thank you, David, because Juliana is my amazing daughter-in-law. So there is Addison, my oldest son. He's the COO of Messenger International, and that's Juliana. And then that is my amazing wife next to me, Lisa. Did you enjoy her this morning? Yeah. And then the three uh, sons on the right, Austin's number two born. He is our marketing director. You have Alec, who is working in our video department, and Arden is our youngest, and he is leaving tomorrow to go to Hillsong Leadership College in Sydney, Australia. And then there are our G-babies down there. You say, what's a G-baby? Lisa and I are way, way too young to be grandma and grandpa. So it's G-daddy, G-mama, and G for short, okay? And so that's my family. I am deeply in love with them. And, you know, it's just such an honor to have them here. Many of them are here tonight. We have many of our team members here tonight. And I just want to say it is so good to be in Colorado Springs because Lisa and I are constantly all over this globe. So it is great to be with you. It's great to be in this place. But most of all, isn't it great to be here with the Holy Spirit? Can you say amen? All right. Now, you've got to help me tonight, okay? You have to help me because the more you respond, the more you yell, the more you say something, the better it's going to be, all right? I was raised Catholic. We were not allowed to say anything in church. I, you know, when I got saved and I found out people could be happy in church, I need some input, all right? Now, something that really came into my heart while I was standing over there is, before I even begin, I want to do one more thing. We have praised him. We have worshiped him. He is the reason for us being here. But you know, I started thinking, we need a real outbreak of praise right now to the one we love. Now, let me, let me, just, let me just say a few things here, all right? 
you drank some clean water today, didn't you? You ate some food today. You had a cover or a roof over your head today or a tent over your head today. You've got a family. You've got people around here that care about you. Let me tell you something. Everything, everything that is good in your life, God has given it to you. And what I really want to do is when I say one, two, three, I want you to think. I want you to think right now before you do anything because I don't want you clapping. I don't want you cheering just for nothing. I want you to think what God has given to you. I want you to think how he saved your life from a devil's hell where the fire never, ever, ever is quenched. We would have burned forever and ever and ever had it not been the fact that he loved us when we didn't deserve to be loved. I want you to think about what he delivered you from, what he's given you. And I want to give him an enormous praise offering tonight. Can we do that? So I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I mean, I want you to really give him praise. Can we do that? One, two, three. Let it rip. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. Give him praise. Yes. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for what you've done. You could have made us slaves and that would have been amazing. But you've called us sons and daughters of God. So tonight, Lord, we're asking that literally the Holy Spirit would invade this sanctuary once again. You were here so strong in our worship tonight. Now come in even a different dimension tonight during the word and the ministry time. We're asking that not one of us would leave this place the same as we came. I'm asking that you would reveal Jesus to us in a way like we've never known him before. We're asking not only for your word to be declared tonight, but that your presence would honor us in this place. For I decree this night, your kingdom has come within us. Your will shall be done in this place on earth as it is in heaven. And for this, we give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise, and the thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful, majestic, holy, awesome, magnificent name, we pray. And everybody that agrees, shouts. Come on, give him praise for what he's going to do. Come on, thank him in advance. Amen. You can be seated. I want to say it's just great to be here also with Jesus Culture and all the other guests that are here too. And um, Corey and Anna, you guys are amazing. I was so excited when I heard you guys were leading worship tonight and it was amazing, wasn't it? Amen. Tonight, I want to talk to you about, you saw the video, Good or God, Why Good Without God Isn't Enough. It's such a vast subject, but can I say something? Today in our society, good and God seem synonymous. I mean, if it's good, it's got to be God, right? Well, if it's so obvious, if good is so obvious, why does the Bible say we've got to have discernment to recognize it? Why does King Solomon cry out at the dawn of his reign, God, give me a heart that can discern between good and evil. Good is not obvious. If you remember, Eve was not drawn to the evil side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She was drawn to the good side. There is a good that will rob us from what is best. Tonight, I just want to talk about one aspect of this. And I think it's an extremely important aspect. And so, to really open up tonight, I just want to ask you a question. And I want you to ask this question of yourself honestly. I don't want you to answer in such a way that you think, hey, this is the correct answer to give. I want you to be really honest. And the question is this. What is your ultimate goal. All right? In other words, what desire outweighs all other desires? Can you be honest? Can you really be honest with yourself? The desire in your life that outweighs all others. Because if you can't be honest with yourself, you might end up in a destination you don't want to find yourself. You know, in traveling all over the world, I've been having to use for years these GPSs. You know, I'd 
open up my suitcase as soon as I'd land. I'd pull out the Garmin GPS. I'd put it in the rental car. I'd pl- plug in the address, and then it would take me to where I'm supposed to go. I am so grateful for iPhone 6 because now my assistant just puts the address in. I punch the little thing, and she's already talking to me. Siri, baby, she's talking to me, all right? She talks to me almost as much as my wife. You have to understand as much as I travel. So anyway, Siri takes me to the place I want to go. Now, can you imagine if I'm in a strange city and I want to go to the mall and I think that the address that is programmed into my GPS system is going to take me to the mall, but in reality, the address is programmed to the airport. So I follow the GPS and all of a sudden I start seeing signs for Delta, American, United. I'm going, whoa, wait a minute. Where's Nordstrom's? Where's JCPenney's or all those other stores? What happened? My GPS took me to where it was programmed to go. So the question I'm asking you tonight is what is your internal GPS set on? Do you even know? I mean, the apostle Paul knew. Paul made this statement. He said, I press. Now look at the scripture. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. Paul knew where he was headed. He knew his number one destination. And he said, I'm willing to press into it, which means I'm willing to go through opposition or resistance to get to my destination that I am going to. So what is your ultimate desire? I mean, is it to be successful? Is it to be a great leader? Is it to be the best academic, academic student in your class to, to graduate magna cum laude from your high school graduation this year? Is it to be the best athlete in your school? Is it to be healthy? Is it to be happy? Is it to get married and have children? You say, well, John, uh, there's a lot of these things you just named I really would like. Yeah, but what I'm asking you tonight is what is your ultimate desire? What desire outweighs all others? Because you see, if you don't determine this, you might end up in a place you don't want to find yourself. In other words, routes to two different destinations may start out the same, but they might split. And if they split and you haven't predetermined where you're going, you might end up finding yourself in the place you don't want to find yourself. So what is it? What is your ultimate goal of your heart? Is it to be ethical, to be honest, to be morally pure, to be healthy, to be financially secure? If that's your goal, you might find yourself in the same place the rich young ruler found himself who came to Jesus. He had all these things, but yet he knew he was lacking something. Is your goal to have a lot of friends? To have so many people on your social media following you. If that is truly your goal, you might find yourself where Aaron found himself. Aaron, Moses' brother. At the foot of the mountain, the center of attention with a lot of friends, but every day leading them further from the heart of God. Your ultimate goal may be to be a great leader, a great athlete a great artist, musician, to be really well known in your skill. You may find yourself like King Uzziah of Israel, who was the best known person in his entire nation, but he died in isolation. Your goal may be no more noble. Your goal may be, your ultimate desire may be, I want to give to the poor. I want to help the victims of social injustice. You know, at Messenger International, we have an arm of our ministry called Rescue. And thank God for my wife speaking out and moving and obeying the Holy Spirit because of her. We, we've gotten hundreds of girls out of sex trafficking in Asia in the last couple of years. And you know, this is one of the greatest generations, young generations I've ever beheld in all the years of ministry because I watch this generation just beam when it comes to helping girls get out of trafficking, when it comes to helping the poor, when it comes to those that don't have fresh water to get fresh water. I just love the passion this generation has to help the poor and the needy. But you know what? 
If that's your ultimate goal, you can end up like Paul. Paul said, if I give everything I own to the poor, even give my body to be burned, I can still be lacking if I don't have a certain attribute. You may say, I want to I give the biggest offering. I, I want to give the biggest offering to St. Lucia. You may do that, but find yourself in the same shoes as Ananias and Sapphira. They gave a large offering. You got to remember, these are, this is church service. These are members of the church. They, they, they sold an entire valuable piece of property and just gave part of it. But before the service was over, they found themselves judged. That's the New Testament. Let me tell you my story. Back in the early 1990s, here I was a young, young, you know, just young in the ministry. God had just launched Lisa and I to, to Birth Messenger International and I remember every day I, I would wake up at 4.45 in the morning. I'd get up. I still do it to this day. I don't get up at 4.45 anymore, I, but I, I still do what I'm about to say. But I'd get up, and I would squeeze an entire lemon into a glass. I'd heat up some water, and I'd pour that water into that glass, and I would guzzle that entire lemon in that water. And that will wake you up faster than any Starbucks in the whole country. Okay? And then what I'd do is I'd go outside, and I would pray because I didn't want any chance of falling asleep because I tried praying on the couch and I would find myself waking up an hour and a half later. So I would go, I would go out and I would be outside by five o'clock and I would pray until 6.30 and sometimes even seven o'clock. And my prayer time consisted of this, God use me. God use me to win people to Jesus. God use me to get people delivered. Use me to heal the sick. Lord, use me to win masses to Jesus. I would even pray, God, give me nations. There would be some mornings I would pray with such passion. I would say, God, give me souls or I'm going to die. And I prayed this way for a year and a half. I mean, for an hour and a half of my prayer time, I mean, at least half of my prayer time was consumed with crying this out. And so after a year and a half goes by, one morning the Lord interrupts my prayer. And you know what he said to me? Your prayers are off target. And you know when God speaks to you like that? You think, do you have the wrong person? Have you got it? If you have so many of us kids now on the planet, you're getting me confused with somebody else. But yet I knew it was God. I said, what do, you, what do you mean my prayers are off target? I'm asking you to use me to win multitudes of Jesus, to heal the sick, to get people delivered. What do you mean my prayers are off target? And the Lord said this to me. He said, son, you can win multitudes to Jesus. You can heal the sick. You can get people delivered and you can end up in hell. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I was raised Catholic. I don't know what the word quaking means. But I quaked when he said that to me. I literally am petrified with a healthy fear. And I'm just standing. I remember where I was. I was on a golf course. I remember the tree I was standing next to. And I said, God, what should be? Because you know what he said to me? He said, son, Judas left everything he had. Judas cast out devils. Judas healed the sick. Judas led people into repentance. Judas is in hell. So you got to remember, I mean, when Jesus sent the 12, he didn't send 11, he sent the 12. And the 12 came back and reported of the great things God did through them. Now, I'm trembling. And I said, God, what should be my ultimate goal? And the Lord showed me another ruler. A young ruler. This guy wasn't the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. He was a prince, prince of a nation, one of the greatest nations on earth at the time. He was a prince of Egypt. His name was Moses. I want you to just think with me for a minute about the lifestyle of Moses as a young man. I mean, Moses is raised by not only the most powerful leader in the world, Pharaoh is his grandfather, he's also the richest man in the world. So you've got to understand, Moses is raised in this royal household and it's the most beautiful home in the world. You understand that Moses never once had to make his bed. He never had to do his own laundry. He never had to scrub out a toilet. He never had to clean his bathroom. He never had to clean his room. He had servants 
that would do that for him. He never had to cook or make any meal for himself. The finest chefs of the land would make him anything his palate craved. Talk about toys. He had anything he wanted. He had a Maserati. He had a Lamborghini. He had every Harley in the collection. If he didn't want to drive, he had a chauffeur that was constantly ready to drive him. He could do anything he want in his days. He could have a big competition. He could build a city. He could lead an army. If he wanted a girl, he'd just ask grandpa. Grandpa would get him that girl. If he wanted two girls, if he wanted five girls, he could get any girl in the nation he wanted. If he wanted a girl from another nation, he just had to ask grandpa. He could have a harem of wives. To put it simple, he had anything he wanted. And yet look what we read in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews says this, by faith, Moses, when grown, refused the privileges of the Egyptian royal house. He chose a hard life with God's people rather than an opportunistic soft life. Now I want you to notice he refused. He chose to walk away from the privileges of the royal Egyptian household. Why? Because he knew that what his internal GPS was after couldn't be found there. Because if you look at the next verse, look what it says. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. Now I want everybody to shout out with me his great reward. What was his great reward? What great reward was he after? Was it the promised land? No way. What does the promised land have to offer that Egypt didn't? I mean, Egypt back then wasn't a desert. It was fertile. I mean, could he build a better house in the promised land? What was causing him to leave? Well, to be really honest with you, he doesn't know exactly what it is because he doesn't find out until 40 years later. It's kind of like this. If you live in Colorado or in Vermont and you like warm weather and water and beaches... Let's say you live in Vermont. Anybody from Vermont? Okay, nobody from Vermont. Let's say you live in uh, Minnesota. You from Minnesota? All right. We got some people from Minnesota here. I was just there last week. So, you know, Minnesota had a really rough winter this year. And so you decide, I am out of here. So you get on the highway and you start heading to Florida. Now, you don't know exactly. Oh, come on, Florida. You don't know exactly where you're going. But about halfway down your trip, you get... You get into this service station and you see this brochure that has West Palm Beach on it. And you go, that's where I'm going. And so you program your GPS to go there and it takes you there. Well, Moses doesn't know exactly where he's going when he leaves the Royal Egyptian household. He just knows that what he's after isn't going to be found there. So 40 years later, he's on the backside of the desert tending his father-in-law's sheep. And all of a sudden, God manifests his presence in a bush. And when Moses turns aside, he has a face-to-face encounter with the presence of the living God. And he has now found what he left the royal Egyptian household 40 years earlier. He has found what he's after. Now, the proof of this comes a few years later. That this is what his GPS is set on. A few years later, he has already delivered Israel out of Egypt. They have been in the desert now for probably a couple years. And Moses goes to the mountain. The people are down at the foot. And God and Moses have a talk. Now you have to understand, they have been in the desert now for quite a while. And the desert is not a very fun place. I want you to notice what God says to Moses. After a couple years of hardship in the desert, God says, leave this place. This place would be this desert where you are suffering. You and the people you brought out of Egypt. And go to the land that I promised to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to their descendants. I will send an angel to guide you. And I will drive out all your enemies. I got rid of all the ites, okay? And I just put enemies. You are going to a rich and fertile land. But now, look at this. But I will not go with you myself. God looks at Abraham and says, what you've waited for for 430 years, I want you to go ahead and go get it. Now, can you understand 
what your father dreamed of and never saw, what your father's father dreamed of and never saw, what your father's father dreamed of and talked of and never saw. God is now looking at you saying, go get it. This is God saying to Moses, it's yours. Go get it. And he said, I'm going to send a humongous angel and he's going to drive out every animal, enemy. It's yours. Go ahead and go. But then God makes this statement, but I'm not going myself. Now, if God would have said this to Israel, they would have had a party and gone. Because if they would have taken Egypt without an angel or God, because remember they kept saying, Egypt was better for us, let's go back. See, the desert had to be pretty bad. So you have to understand something. We always brag about how the people in the desert, their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. How would you like to wear the same outfit for 40 years? How would you like to wear the same shoes for 40 years? I mean, we, we, we're so excited about this food that God feeds them, but can you imagine eating the same thing every single day? I mean, I used to be a youth pastor, and that's why I love speaking at Desperation, because once you love youth, you always love youth. You never stop loving youth. And... I remember we took 56 kids to Trinidad. And now, I don't know if you experienced this in Trinidad, but David, all they eat is chicken. We had chicken this way, chicken that way, chicken this way, chicken that way, chicken this way, chicken that way. And after 10 days of nonstop chicken for every meal, we fly back to Orlando. My 14, one of my 14-year-olds gets off the plane. His mother grabs him, hugs him. They're reunited. They're so excited to see each other. It's been almost two weeks. And he looks, the 14-year-old looks at my, his mother and he says, Mom, what's for dinner tonight? And she goes, chicken. And he screamed and said, take me to McDonald's. You got to understand, that's all they've had to eat. They've had the same views for years. Parched ground, tumbleweed, nothing. No valleys, no streams, no vineyards, no orchards, nothing. Just parched ground. Tumbleweed, cactus. So God says, here's the land I told you that would flow with milk and honey. Here's the land I've told you that you'll have vineyards and you'll have beautiful crops. Go get it. I'm sending an angel, but I'm not going. Israel would have had a party and gone. But you know what Moses says to God? Look at this. Moses said, if your presence does not go up with us, do not bring us up from here. Do you understand what Moses is saying to God? He's saying, God, if I have to choose, now listen to my words carefully, if I have to choose to have your promises, and I mean his promises were amazing. That land was amazing. If I have to choose to have your promises without your presence, I would rather have your presence in this place of hardship and suffering than have your promises apart from your presence. His GPS was set. Can you imagine the pleasure, the pleasure that it brought God? You say, pleasure? Moses turned down God's offer. Well, let me just give you a little example. You know, a couple of years ago, Lisa and I were down in a particular city. We had three days down there. Some of my friends were there. There was a championship golf course two miles away. And, and, and some of my pastor friends said, John, let's go play golf. And so I went to my wife and I said, babe, I said, I've been asked to go play golf by pastor so-and-so and pastor so-and-so. And, and Lisa looked at me and honestly and sincerely said, John, go ahead and enjoy it, right? But it took me about three minutes to figure it out. And I looked back at her and I said, no, I don't want to go play. I said, we only have three days down here. I'd rather spend all three days just with you. Well, let me tell you, that was a great three days. Because let me tell you something. My wife really meant it when she said, go play golf. And she would not have resented me going and playing golf. But when I chose her over golf, because she knows how much I love golf. She was like, oh my goodness. That was a good three days. So this, can you imagine the pleasure this brought to God? See, isn't it interesting that God didn't make this offer to Israel? Because God knew what Israel would do. They would say, shoot, give us those blessings. Now, how come Moses 
and Israel are so different. Why is that? Well, in order to understand why they're so different, you've got to go back to when he delivered them out of Egypt. So let's, let's backtrack now a couple of years when Moses delivers them out. All the plagues happen and all that, and he delivers them out of Egypt. Now, the question I always ask people is when Moses delivers Israel out of Egypt, where is, the, where is he bringing them to? Where's their destination? Come on, shout it. The promised land. No, what does he say to Pharaoh? Five times. Thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they might worship the Lord in the wilderness. Why does Moses want to bring them out of Egypt into the promised land before first bringing them to the promiser? If he brings them out of Egypt into the promised land before first bringing them to the promiser, they'll make the promised land into a place of idolatry. And that's what we did as a church in America. We have preached more of what Jesus will do for us rather than who he is. And you know what we've done? We have spawned disciples that are seeking God for what he can do for me, not because of who he is. And that's like a woman marrying a man because he's got a lot of money. She loves him, but she loves him for the wrong reasons. See, I find an amazing contrast. I look at Moses and I look at Israel. Israel has stripes on their back. They have labored all their lives to build somebody else's inheritance. I mean, they have no inheritance at all. They have slaved to build Egypt. Their children have been put to death. They live in the slums. They eat the leftovers. They wear the leftovers. Yet they come out of Egypt and they are constantly saying, let's go back to Egypt. It was better for us in Egypt than it is in this desert. But I look at Moses. He had the elaborate lifestyle that I just described to you. He comes out of Egypt and he never, ever, ever once says, I want to go back to Egypt. It was better for me back in Egypt. Why? Because he had one encounter with the promiser. One encounter with this presence. That's why he wants to take them out of Egypt and bring them straight to Mount Sinai. Because Sinai is where the bush was. That's where he met God. He's like, I want you to meet who I've met. So he brings them out to the mountain. That's where they go. And now, now listen carefully to me. God knows Moses and Moses knows the people, but God and the people haven't met yet. So who's going to facilitate the meeting? Moses. So God comes down and he preps the meeting. Everybody say preps the meeting. And look, look, look what God says. He says this. He says, Moses, he's talking to Moses about this meeting coming up. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you. Now look at the words. Look at the words. Brought you to myself. The entire reason that God delivered them out of Egypt was to bring them to himself. See, you got to understand God is a father. He has always been a father. He wasn't like this mean God in the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden he had a transformation to a father in the New Testament. He's always been a father. He has a father's heart. And so, you know, I know I am a father of four boys. I remember when Lisa was giving birth to our boys. Oh my gosh, I'm in that delivery room. And when she started pushing and I saw those little heads crown, I'm like, bring them on, bring them on. I have been waiting nine months for this. Because it's almost unfair. She gets to enjoy them for nine months inside. A lot of intimacy. But I am like, I've been separated here. I got to see my child. And when they came out, I'd hold them up. I'd be so excited. I didn't care what the nurses and doctors thought. Or my wife even, but she liked it too. But, I mean, that's a father. That's my boy. So God's like, hey, Moses. Tell him the whole reason I delivered him out of Egypt is to bring him to me. I can't wait to meet him. Because look at the next statement he makes to Moses. He says this. He says, you're special. Tell him this. You're special. A kingdom of priests. What's a priest? Someone who could approach God for themselves or for somebody else. Now look at this. You're a kingdom of priests. A holy nation. This is what I want you to tell the people of Israel. God said, this is what I want you to tell everybody. Do you understand? He was saying to Moses, tell every one of them. I want every one of them to approach me like you approach me. 
I want every one of them to be intimacy, intimate with me like you're intimate with me. He said, go and tell the people this. So then he says this. Now watch this. This is the important part. He says, for the next two days, get these people ready to meet the holy God. Have them scrub their clothes. Everybody shout, scrub their clothes. So that on the third day, they'll be fully prepared. Because on the third day, God will come down on the mountain of Sinai and will make his presence known to all the people. God says, you tell them, man, I can't wait to meet them. I'm coming down on the third day. This is so exciting. But just tell them one thing. Tell them to scrub their clothes. What does he mean, scrub their clothes? Is God like a stickler for physical hygiene? I mean, really, what's, what's he talking about here? We have to understand, everything in the Old Testament outwardly represents inwardly in the New Testament. You know what God is saying there? He's saying, hey, they just came out of Egypt. They still got the dirt, the filth of Egypt on them. Tell them to get rid of the filth of Egypt. Because I don't want a gold digger relationship with them. Now you say, whoa, whoa, what's a gold digger relationship? Well, you got to understand in my travels, many times I've seen like this 60-year-old guy with this 35-year-old girl, right? He's like way out of shape. He's got gray hair. He's balding. He's fat. She's got this amazing body. She's really sharp, tight clothes on. Like I've seen this. I'm, I'm thinking of an incident that actually occurred. And, you know, I think at first, Oh, that's her father. But then I listen and many times, oh no, they're together. They're a couple. Now, rarely do they, are they together because they love each other. This is the usual story, okay? He's traded in an old model for her because he wants to up his game. He's got a lot of money, right? He wants to show his friends, man, I'm on my game. I'm going to get some better sex. I'm going to have me a hot girl next to me. She's in it too. She knows what she's doing too. She wants his influence and his money. So they're both using each other, and they both know it on a certain level. But they don't care because it's what they want. And what God is saying to Moses, I don't want a gold digger relationship. Because what the world does is the world seeks for everything that it wants. The indulgence of the flesh, the indulgence of the eyes, status, reputation, pride. And God says, that doesn't make for a good relationship. I can't have an authentic relationship with them if they still have this filth. You know what? They wouldn't get rid of the filth. So God comes down the mountain and they all run away. And they said, Moses, we can't handle God. You talk to him, tell us what he says. And so God had to institute a priesthood. Now, does that apply to today? I mean, is that relevant to... The New Testament to our day? Well, look what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians. As God, as God said, now look at this. Paul is quoting what God said on that mountain when they were all at the foot. As God said, I will live in them and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. What he's saying is, this is my passion. I want to dwell. I want my presence to dwell with them and their presence to dwell with me. So look what Paul goes on to say. Because we have these promises, the promise of him dwelling with us in his presence. Dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves. Everybody say cleanse ourselves. No, say it with some passion around here. Let us cleanse ourselves. Do you notice it doesn't say the blood of Jesus is going to cleanse us? Why? Because the blood of Jesus does cleanse us. But that deals with sanctification, or excuse me, that deals with justification. We're not talking about justification here. We're talking about sanctification or holiness here. I'll talk about it in a second here. Let us cleanse ourselves. That means scrub our clothes from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work towards complete. Everybody say it. Some of you thought you just cussed, but you actually said the word holiness. You didn't cuss. Let us work towards complete what? Say it with some conviction. Let us work towards complete holiness. Not not partial holiness. Complete holiness because we fear God. Now, what God is saying is it hadn't changed. I don't want a gold digger relationship. I don't want you using me for what I can do for you. Because all you are interested in is the indulgence of the flesh, the gratification of the eyes, and status and reputation, which is the pride of life. I want an authentic relationship with you. So cleanse yourself. So we can really enjoy each other. That's what he's saying. 
See, the word holiness today, it scares people. Why? I mean, think about it. The only description of the church Jesus is coming back for, the only description given in the New Testament, it's not a leadership church, it's not a community church, it's not even, this is, this is hard to believe, but it's not even a, a relevant church. It's a holy church without spot or wrinkle. That's the only description. So now the enemy's not stupid. He can read the Bible. So what do you do if you're the enemy? If you realize that the only description that God gives of the church that he's coming back for, raise up some mean-spirited preachers that hate people, that beat people up and make holiness all about rules, regulations, and laws. So now, you ever hear the proverb, the cat that's been scalded by the boiling water fears even the cool? The cool water, which will bring him refreshing... He fears because he was scalded with boiling water. So the enemy's so clever. He gets everybody to become afraid of holiness. Let's not talk about it. It's law. It's legalism. No, it's not. It's one of the most beautiful words in the New Testament outside of Jesus. What does holiness mean? Let's give the definition here. It is the Greek word hagios, which means set apart for God. To be, as it were, exclusively his. Now, I'm going to show you this scripture in Corinthians again. Look at the scripture. God says this. No, 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 no. Go forward on the PowerPoint, please. Yeah. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. <laughs> Do you hear what he's saying? I want you for myself. See, I want you to look at what the Apostle James says. James says this. Now, look at this carefully. I'm in the New Testament right now. I want you to remember this. James says, do you think the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us. Everybody say, the Spirit who dwells in me yearns. Now, do you understand what you just read? We are talking about the one who put the stars in the universe with his fingers and called every one of them by name. We're talking about the one who weighed these mountains in a scale. We're talking about the one that weighed every drop of water in the palm of his hands. We're talking about the one who measured the entire universe with the span of his hand. He yearns for us. Are you tracking with me on this one? What does the word yearn mean? It means to long for intensely and consistently. I love that consistently. He's not one day yearning for you, the next day not. He yearns constantly for you. You know, you know, when I think of God yearning for me, you know what I think of? I think what David said. David said, Lord, when I consider the thoughts that you have about me personally, this is me personally, not the church collectively. He said, if I was able to number the thoughts you have about me personally, this is you personally, they would not number every grain of sand that's on this planet. Would you think of every grain that's on the sand, uh, of sand that's on this planet? Every beach, every desert, every golf course, that is a lot of sand. Now, when I think of my wife, the thoughts I've had about her in the last 33 years of marriage, oh my gosh. If I added all my thoughts up in 33 years, I wouldn't get a shoebox full of sand. And I'm doing pretty good. Because you know what scientists tell us? Scientists tell us one cubic foot of beach has 1.8 billion grains of sand. One cubic foot, that big. Now, how many of you know fishermen exaggerate? Dude, I caught a fish this big. You know, we hold it out like this on the iPhone so it looks like it's much bigger, right? Okay, they exaggerate. That's a lie. How many of you know God can't lie? Because if God lies, he has to come underneath the father of lies. That's the devil. And that's never going to happen. So God cannot exaggerate. So when God says, the thoughts that I have about you personally outnumber every grain of sand that's on this planet, do you understand how much he thinks about you? And how many of you know you don't think about people you don't want to be close to? The spirit who dwells in its yearns. But now look at the next word. What yearns what? Yearns what? Yearns what? Come on, say it with some conviction. Yearns what? He yearns jealously. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let me put it to you like this. Do you think my wife, Lisa, do you think she would share with me the secrets, the desires, the intentions of her heart? Do you think she'd be intimate with me if I was pursuing a relationship with another girl? 
come on, that's a question. Can I get an answer? No way. Well, look at the previous verse. James says, you're seeking a friendship with the world? You're an adulterer. He's talking to Christians. Now, what's an adulterer? An adulterer is somebody who has a covenant with someone and violates that covenant to establish a relationship with someone else. What's the world? I said it. The world is not about dress and all this stuff. The world is just simply this. It's all summed up in these three statements. The indulgence of the flesh, the gratification of the eyes, or the pride of life, which is status, reputation. Let's just put it this way. If you want to be on this platform, on this worship team, this amazing desperation worship team, because you want the people of desperation to see you, don't expect to have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. You're an adulterer because you're seeking reputation. Do you know what? Somebody asked me one time. They said, do you get nervous before you speak to seven, 8,000 people? And I said, no. But I never understand why I don't get nervous. Until Joyce Meyer gave the answer to Brian Houston. Joyce said, I never get nervous. And Brian said, why? She said, because it's not about me. It's about these people. Do you know the only time I've ever gotten nervous before a service is when the focus is on me. Performance, reputation, status. When I get up here, I'm just like, God, please, I want lives changed forever. And it's really about you, not about me. That's, a, that's the way we are supposed to live. Go to the next frame. Look at this. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Now look at this. Pursue. Everybody say pursue. pursue. I'm almost done. Stay with me. I'm going to be about three more minutes and I'm finished. Maybe five more minutes. Pursue means chase after with the intent to apprehend. Pursue holiness. Now he's talking to believers, not unbelievers. Without which no one's going to see the Lord. Now wait a minute. Everybody's going to see God. The Bible said every eye is going to behold him. So he can't be talking about judgment seat. What's he talking about? He's talking about beholding him now. See, okay, look. In my 56 years of being an American, I've had 10 presidents. Their rule has affected my life. Their decisions has affected my life. I'm under their jurisdiction, their leadership. But you know, I've never seen one of them in person. Never been in the presence of one of our presidents. Now, there are other Americans. They're in the presence of the presidents of the United States, sometimes daily, because they're his friends or they work with him. I've never been in the presence of the president of the United States. That's what he's saying. Without holiness, you're not going to enter into the presence of God. That's what God said in 2 Corinthians 6. Now, notice it says pursue holiness. Now, wait a minute. Here's the big argument. Can I give you the big argument today? Everybody says, whoa, whoa, whoa. By grace, by grace, I've been made holy. Don't you be talking. No, no, I'll say the rest. Don't you be talking to me. Don't you be talking to me about this holiness. I was made holy the moment I got saved. See, this is what people don't understand. Why would he say pursue it, chase after it with the intent to apprehend if he's talking about we were made holy as soon as we got saved? But here's the real deal. We were made holy the moment we got saved. Let me show you in Ephesians. Look at this, Ephesians. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Everybody say, I was chosen. Before the foundation of the world. That we should be what? That we should be what? What? And without blame before him in love. See, let me tell you something. The moment you got saved, you were set apart. You were holy unto him. And you can never do a thing to improve that. Let me, let me put it to you like this. 33 years ago, I got married to Lisa Bevere. Well, she was Lisa Toscano. Now she became Lisa Bevere, right? Now listen, I am not any more married to Lisa today than I was 33 years ago. I am not any more her husband today than I was 33 years ago. That is my positional relationship with her. What he's talking about there in Ephesians is our positional holiness. But there's a second holiness the New Testament talks about. And that is our behavioral holiness. 
Because look what Peter says. Peter says, live as children, live as children of obedience to God. Do not conform yourselves to the evil desires that govern you in your former ignorance when you did not know the requirements of the gospel. But as the one who called you is holy, you yourselves also be holy in all your conduct and manner of living. Now he's not talking about positional holiness. He's talking about behavioral holiness. Let me give you an example. 33 years ago, I got married to Lisa Bevere. When I met Lisa Toscano, she doesn't like Thousand Islands dressing. She doesn't like dark furniture. She does not like jazz music. So when I got married to her, I cut out Thousand Islands dressing. I cut out jazz music when she's not around or when she's around. And I cut out dark furniture. Because why? There's plenty of things that I can enjoy that she likes. But even more important, everybody say even more important. I stopped flirting with girls. Okay, now wait, whoa, 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 listen. Listen, I had pictures of girlfriends. I destroyed them. I had phone numbers of girls. I got rid of them. There is an appropriate way for me to behave around women now. That is my behavioral conduct as a result of being married. I'm not any more married than I was 33 years ago, but my conduct, sure, I'm hoping, is getting better every year. I don't go to bed with other women and take my marriage license and say, hey, I'm legally yours. Don't get upset with me going to bed with these girls. I don't dare do that because I love her. And I gave my life to her. I want you to watch this video. Emma, these past seven months have been incredible. And I mean, honestly, when I saw you seven months ago, I knew, I knew from that moment that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with you. You're kind, beautiful, smart. I, I can't picture a more perfect woman. So, Emma, Lily, Thompson, Will you marry me? Yes, 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 yes. 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 I have to see other guys on the side, but yes. Wait, what? Uh, what other guys? What, what are you talking about? I'm the perfect woman. Just like you said, I'm going to have gourmet meals for us every single night. Our house is going to be perfect. Oh, it's going to be amazing, babe. And I mean, you don't really expect me to be a one-man kind of woman anyway. Uh, no, that's actually like a, a, a big part of marriage. Like... You and me, together. Yeah, but I can't give up every guy. I mean, that's asking a little much, don't you think? <laughs> a, a little... A little... I just asked you to marry me. If we're married, you can't see anyone else. That, that No, that, that's... Babe, just, wait. You, okay, I'm, okay I'm, I'm, shh. It's okay. Listen to me. Listen to me. Look at me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. You're right. I was wrong. Thank I you. totally understand where you're coming from. This is our moment. And we're going to be so happy together. Every single day, except once a week. Well, uh, once a week? Okay. What, just no. simply once a week. Did you, did you not listen to anything Every other I just year? said? No. On a what? leap year? N- no. Okay, Emma, I, 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 can't, I, I can't. Once a week on a leap year, and you're going to freak out? Emma, we're, we're done. What? Babe, you were just asking me to marry you. Are you kidding me? Seriously? Really? All right, it was funny. It's meant to be funny. But can I ask an honest question? I don't want anybody being funny right now. Would you really marry somebody like that? Never. Why? Because she she may be a perfect wife. He may be a perfect husband. Let's just talk about why. She may be the perfect wife. 
but she's still got those other guys in her heart, even if it is once a year. Now, you would never marry someone like that. What makes you think Jesus is coming back for a bride that's just the same? Give me just a little bit of the world. If you really believe that, you're as deceived as somebody that would marry a person like that. I'm going to show you the final words tonight that I want to show you, and that's the words of Jesus. He said it right out of his mouth. The person who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And I too will love him and will show, reveal, manifest myself to him. I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. Why do we want him to be real to us? Because you can never be changed unless you're beholding him, unless you're in his presence. Christianity without the presence of God is just religion. It may be relevant religion, but it's religion because you're not being changed. The only way you can change is to get into his presence. He's the one that changes us. And you can't get into his presence. And you can't get in to his presence if you're flirting with another lover, namely the world. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't want anyone moving around. You can come to youth group. You can believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You can know that He was raised from the dead. Know that He was born of a virgin, shed His blood, and still not have a relationship with Him. Did you hear what I just said? Let me give you an example. You can have a girl dating a guy. She knows he's an excellent quarterback. She knows he's an excellent math student. She knows he's got a scar on his face from a bicycle accident he had when he was eight years old. She's been to his house. She's met some of his family members, his siblings. But that doesn't give her a covenant relationship with him. It's not until he gets down on one knee and he opens up that little ring box And he says, will you marry me? At that point, she has a choice. She can say no. And she will continue her life as it is. She will know about him, know his siblings, but not have a covenant relationship with him. Or she can say yes. And if she says yes... That means a couple months later, she's going to walk down an aisle of a church and she's going to have a white dress on and there's going to be a bunch of people in the church. And do you know what she's saying? When she's walking down that aisle with that white dress on, she's saying goodbye to every single guy in the human race except for that one guy waiting at the altar for her. She's given her entire heart to him. Let me tell you something. When Jesus died on Calvary, When he shed every drop of his blood for you. That was him getting down on one knee. And saying, would you be my bride? The bride of Christ. Now at this place, we have a decision to make. We can say no. And we can still know he's the son of God. Still know some of his siblings. In other words, people who really belong to him. Still attend the youth group. Go to his house. See his siblings. Or we can say yes. And if we say yes, that means we are saying goodbye to the world. Goodbye to living for myself. Goodbye to seeking status and reputation. Goodbye to just living to indulge my flesh, to indulge my eyes. It means now I'm going to live for him the way he lived for me. You see, as much as God knows it's better for you to say yes to Jesus. Because God knows how much better it is to spend eternity with him. 
in paradise with streets of gold and mansions than to burn in flames and have worms eat you forever and ever. God knows it's so much better, yet he's not a tyrant. And just as that man could never force that girl to say yes, God will never, ever force you to say yes because he's not a tyrant. He just says, I want you to choose. If you're going to come after me, you have to deny yourself. Not it's not optional. You have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and give your whole heart and follow me. There are young people, you are sitting in this room right now and you know that you haven't given your entire life to Jesus. You know. And I'm not talking about you thinking about the person sitting next to you. I'm talking to every single person with their head bowed right now. You know, truth be told, you still own your life. You haven't given it to him. Well, I got great news. He's still on one knee. And he's still got the ring box open. And today is the day of salvation. But you have to choose. You have to choose to give him everything.